Hey, I've got a couple of things that um, I just don't understand. Sorry? Um, there's a couple of things I don't understand, and uh, maybe you can help me. There's a lot of things I don't understand. But, but, but if you can help me understand this, um, just the next slide. If you, I'm going to be going pretty quick with some of these slides, so I'll just keep pointing next slide. Is that all right? So let's go. I need you to help me understand. I don't understand this. Next slide. Why do we have so many cushions on our beds? <laughs> I don't know if that's your situation, but, but in our world, where I live, we have all these cushions on our bed. And like, this is what, it's not our bed, but it's, it's not dissimilar to that. Has anyone else got the same situation? A lot of you. Now, if you can help me understand this, why? I think the reason is because it looks good, but who sees it? It's not like guests come to your house and say, hey, come and have a look at their bedroom. I've got these amazing cushions set up. Every morning we throw them on the floor, trip over them when we go to the toilet, and then we put them back on our bed at the next day. No one sees it, but we have cushions all over our bed. I don't understand that at all. Maybe you can help me understand that. The second thing I don't understand is this. Why do jeans, jeans with holes in them cost more than jeans without holes in them? I mean, I can buy a nice pair of jeans, 35 bucks, no holes, last for years, but they're going to cost 150 bucks uh, simply because they have holes in them. I don't understand why that is the case. And there's another thing I don't understand. Why is this word spelt, pronounced quinoa? It's quinoa every day of the week, isn't it? Like if you have five children, they're quins. It's, it's, it's qu, isn't it? And so we pronounce this word quinoa. You can't go to a supermarket and say, can I have some quinoa, please? Because they've got no idea what you're talking about. But that's exactly how it's spelt. But we say this, why is that? Can anyone help me understand that? No. It's just crazy, isn't it? I, don't, I've, I tried to Google it, but I couldn't even find in Google why we have a pronunciation like that. You know, there's a lot of things in our world that I don't understand. What, why is this happening in our world right now? I don't understand. So many things we don't understand. I think in my ministry over, and I've been pastoring for 20, 25 years now, probably the number one question I get is, can you help me understand what God's will for my life is? Can you just help me understand what God wants me to do, how he wants me to live and um, what he wants me to do? I think people are always, and I think we all from time to time ask God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? Because it's an important question, isn't it? Are we doing what God wants us to do? And, and we're always asking that question. And, and I think people have been asking that of me more than any other question. What does God want me to do? It's in the book, yeah, but people have got to read the book. Well, I want to answer the question this morning because I think sometimes in churches we've just got this around the wrong way about God's will for us. And so I want to answer it in a traditionally Jewish way, which is to ask more questions. So the questions are, who is Jesus, why did he come, and what's our response to that? Who is Jesus, why did he come, and what's our response to that? And, and, and thank you for our readings this morning. The first one was a prophetic word from Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 61. And Isaiah has this prophetic word about the coming Messiah, and that in the future, the Messiah, the saviour of Israel, the saviour of the world was to come. And this is what he was to look like and this is what he was to do. It was a, prof a prophetic word written six to seven hundred years before Jesus was born. And so Isaiah just made it very clear about what the Messiah was to be and what he would do. And so as Jesus begins his ministry and in Luke chapter 4... It's very interesting, he went into the wilderness and he was tempted for 40 days by the devil, didn't give in to that temptation. 
and then he comes and he begins his ministry and as he begins his ministry he goes into the synagogue and this prophet Isaiah scroll was handed to him and it says that he went through that and he got to Isaiah probably wasn't Isaiah 61 then but he got to that same passage of scripture and he read let me read that again for you because it's really important Luke 14 Luke 4 14 to 21 so he came to Nazareth where he was brought up and as his custom was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day And he stood up to read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were on the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So here's Jesus, as he begins his ministry, quotes from Isaiah 61. Was it just luck that Jesus read from Isaiah 61 as he begins his ministry to declare what the Messiah would do? Of course not. Divine intervention. It wasn't luck at all. So as Jesus begins his ministry, he declares... This is who I am, and this is why I've come. This is what I'm going to do. And then for the first time in the hearing of anyone in the history of the world, he declared he was the Messiah. Today, he said, this scripture, this prophecy is fulfilled. I'm here. First time they would have heard that. The Messiah is here. The one to fulfill all the things that the Messiah would do was about to take place. Now, I want to put some biblical context to this before I give some practicalities to it, all right? I think the number one reason that Jesus came into our world was to deal with sin. That's why he came. The number one reason. Now, we don't like to talk about sin in parts of the church these days. And I travel to churches and I preach in churches just about every week and different denominations and all different churches. And, and there, are, there, are, there are some parts of our church and some parts of our world where they don't want to talk about sin anymore because it's just a little too judgmental. It's just a little bit too confronting and, uh, and we're allowed to choose now how we live our life because it's, a, it's about us and uh, we believe in Jesus but you know, we can live how we want to live and please don't talk about sin because you know, we have a God of love and a God of grace and, and we do but we also have a God of judgment and we have a God of, who has a, a call on our life to live a certain way. So a lot of people don't like to talk about sin, but I think the number one reason Jesus came into our world was to deal with sin. That's why he came. And John 10, 40, we might just flick through a few slides now because I, I had some Bible readings in here. Can we just flick, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. John 10, 10. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. You see, the thief, Satan, the same one that tempted Jesus, tempts us to actually sin, to, to, to go against the way that God wants us to live. And that happens every day of our life, that temptation comes. And as Jesus didn't give in to the temptation because he knew it would still kill and destroy his relationship with God. Every time we give in to the temptation of sin, it kills, steals and destroys our relationship with God. And Jesus says, that's not how it would be. I have come into the situation of the world to actually bring life, not death, that sin brings. I've actually come so that you won't be... St- 
you won't be killed or you won't steal or you won't destroy your relationship with God, that, that you will have a life and an abundant life. So I've come to deal with sin, the sin of temptation and giving in to that. And so as we look at Isaiah 61, we, we will see that Jesus came to deal, and, and he requotes this in Luke chapter 4, five key aspects of sin that are in our world. The first one is this. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. Sin causes poverty, both social, economic and spiritual poverty. And Jesus came to preach the gospel, the good news to those living in bad news. See, people that, that, that are living in, in impoverished situations, it's sin that's kept them there. Not necessarily their own sin, but a sin of the world. When people aren't hearing about Jesus Christ, it's sin that stops people hearing about Jesus Christ. People are tempted not to share faith. People are tempted to be shy about it. People are tempted every day, what will they think? What will they do? But Jesus says he's come. He's come to preach the gospel to the poor. Sin causes poverty. Second is this. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Sin breaks heart and causes incredible pain in relationship. Sin destroys love and it leaves people living in brokenness. And every one of us has experienced a broken relationship, haven't we? Some of you are probably, maybe even right now, experiencing a brokenness in a relationship, maybe with a neighbour or a child or a spouse or a brother or sister. We often will experience broken relationships, broken relationships in churches, broken relationships all over the place. Sin causes broken relationships, pride, anger, whatever, whatever that is. It's, it's sin at the core root of a broken relationship. And Jesus says, I've actually come to deal with that. Because that's not how it's supposed to be. I didn't create people to live in brokenness. And so he came, I've, I've come to deal with that. Thirdly, from the Isaiah reading, it says this, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Sin enslaves people, keeps them in darkness and imprisoned and Jesus came to set them free. We have a greater number of people living in enslavement today than we've ever had in the history of the universe. And so when you've got... um, People now uh, deal more with human trafficking than drugs because in our world now, when you sell drugs, you can't on-sell it. If you sell a person, you can on-sell it. And it's all over our world. And it's growing and it's growing and it's growing. And Jesus says that's not how it should be. And it's sin that causes that situation to continue and grow. And Jesus says, I've came to, to claim liberty to captives. That's why I came to deal with the sin of that. Fourthly, he said this, and recovery of sight to the blind. Sin blinds people from the truth, from the way God created things to be. And Jesus came to open our eyes, not only to see the truth of God, but to see God himself. This is just a beauty. Sin blocks people from seeing God. And Jesus says, I've come to open the eyes so people will see God and experience God and live in relationship with God. That's why he came, to deal with that. And the last reason, the fifth one that he says, is to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Sin oppresses people. It robs them of joy and hope and dignity and justice. And Jesus came to liberate people from bondage. That's why he came. 
And again, all over, over our world, people are living in oppression. And Jesus says, that's not how I created it to be. But people live in there because of the sin of the world. And I've come to deal with that. That's what Jesus says. That's who I am. I've come to deal with the brokenness of the world, those living in captivity, those who are oppressed, those who can't see the truth, those living in poverty, all caused by a sin of the world. And I've come and to step into that. That's why I came. Romans 3.23. Um, we won't put this up yet. Can we just put that, take that back? Okay. This is, um, I read somewhere. This is a Bible church. So I'm going to test your biblical knowledge. All right? Let's see how you go. Romans 3.23. Anyone got it for me? No? No one really likes to say out loud just in case we get it wrong, do we? We don't want to be embarrassed. So I'll start you off. And then I think you'll grab this, all right? So Romans 3, 23. For all have... Oh, now we're going for it, aren't we, hey? Once we got a start on it, and then we just, whew, I know this passage of Scripture. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's just a statement of truth by Paul as he shares it with the Roman church. For all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. Everyone's fallen into that temptation and given into that. For all have sinned. Everyone is actually causing brokenness in our world because of that sin. Every single person. You and I are all part of causing that brokenness because we have all sinned. That's what he declares. So we know Romans 3.23 quite well, right? I know you know it because, man, you just went into it once I started. How, how are we going with Romans 3.24? Right? So Romans 3.23 is for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Wait, wait. Romans, the next verse is what? And all... Uh, are you reading that? <laughs> and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Here we go. Let's put it up. We know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but none of us knew Romans 3.24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You know what? We know the bad news, but we don't know the good news. The good news is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The bad, the, sorry, the bad news is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is we've been justified freely by grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Everyone has sinned, but we've been justified freely. People need to know that, accept that, and live in that. So I'd encourage you, Put the good news on the back of your toilet door, not the bad news. Remember Romans 3.24, not just Romans 3.23. Remember the good news as well as the bad news. Yes, we have sinned, but we've all been justified freely by the grace that came through the redemption of Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? But we live in a world of sin and Jesus came to deal with that. That's why he came. And everything he did, as we read in Scripture, was about this. Everything he spoke about, all the people that he healed, it was all because of brokenness, enslavement, oppression, and he spoke into every one of those situations because they were situations of sin where he brought hope and life and healing. That's what he did. And it finds its fulfillment on the cross where he goes to the cross and takes upon himself the sin of the world. Upon himself. That's why he came. To deal with sin. 
and brokenness and oppression caused by it. That's why he came. So that's who Jesus is and that's why he came. Here's the, the key question is what's our response to that? How do we respond to that? Well, in, in Acts 2.17 it says this. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And so here, you'll know this passage of scripture as well. The spirit of the Lord is poured, about, poured upon us, the followers of Jesus Christ, as we give our life to Jesus Christ and we ask him to come into our lives, his Holy Spirit comes upon us. The spirit of the Lord has been poured out upon you and me. That's the promise of Acts 2. Now, if we go to the next verse that I want you to remember, it's from Mark, uh, sorry, John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater than these because I am going to the Father. Now, these are two great passages of Scripture which talk about what's our response to what Jesus has done. And Jesus clearly says that we're going to do what he did. That's what he wants for us, to do what he did. And we're actually going to do greater than these. And I don't think it's greater and we're going to do it better than Jesus did it. We're going to do it greater because we're going to the ends of the world and Jesus just did this in Israel. And so we're going to have a greater witness and a greater um, example of who Jesus is and what he will do for people as they live in sin and, and then they're released from that. And so we're going to do greater things than Jesus did, but we're going to do what Jesus did. That's the call. That's why we're here. That's why we are still existing and haven't been taken to heaven. As Christians, we're still in a world of sin to do what Jesus has called us to do. That's why we're here. And so the question is again, well, well what did Jesus do? Let's remember what Jesus did because this is what we're going to do. Next verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord, Acts 2 says, is upon us. To do what? Because you've been anointed. Because he had been anointed me. You've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what we are called to do because that's what Jesus did and he said we will do what he did. That's why we're still here. Sin still dominates our world and we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit, have been called by Jesus to step into the brokenness of our world with the love and healing and grace of Jesus Christ. That's what we're to do. That's why we're still here. As I said right at the, the beginning, a lot of people ask me, what's God's will for my life? And, and I understand the question at one level where they're thinking, um, what, what, what should I do to serve in the church? Or what should I do for a job? Or should I marry this person? How many children should we have? How much money should I save? How much money should I give? How generous should I be? How much should I keep for myself? What's God's will in all of those sort of things? How many... You know, I know that's what people are, are wondering when they ask, what is God's will for my life? But I just think it's a secondary, they're secondary questions. But we've made them prime questions. When I've got enough money, then I can be generous. When I have got my education, and then I can serve or teach or do, I've got more education. When, when I've got these things, when my family is sorted, 
and I, my children have now left home, then I've got more time to serve and to make a difference. It's like when we've got these things, then. But I think Jesus is telling us they're all secondary. The prime calling on our life to do what, to what Jesus did is to go to the poor and the broken, the oppressed, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to do first, but we've made that secondary. And we put the things of the world and our own comfort and life as a primary. And we've just twisted what Scripture is telling us and what Jesus is telling us. See, we have this passage of Scripture here in Mark, I think it is. Matthew 6.33 But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. As we seek first to live the way that Jesus has called us to live, he then says he will add to us all of the things that we need. But as Christians, we want to provide all the things that we need for us first and then we will seek the righteousness. I wonder how many live, of us live with second best because we've provided it for ourselves rather than serving Jesus and allowing him to provide for us. I reckon we've all done that. We've sought to buy the house, to buy the car, to get possession, possessions and we've, we've, we've spent all of our resources and money accumulating and not many of us have just waited for God to provide. And we've accumulated first and we've served second. And Jesus is saying, serve first and I will add to you. I will provide for you all that you need. That's a spiritual truth. But I just think as a church, we've become very middle upper class. Haven't we? It's a hard word. Look at this in Philippians and this is the truth. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, do we believe that as Christians? I think we say, yes, we do believe that, but do we live like we believe it? Do we believe that God will meet all our needs? Because we're working so hard to meet our own needs. And us working really hard to meet our own needs, we, we don't step into the truth of what God's called us to do into a brokenness of a world. I actually think right now God's calling us to step into a brokenness of the world. This coronavirus, it, it's a result of sin in our world. It's not just... It's, now, I'm not saying it's our sin and I don't want to over-dramatise this spiritually, but sickness is always the result of sin. And Jesus says, I've come to heal because of the sin of our world. Now, people that catch coronavirus, I'm not saying that they, you know, it's not a condemnation on them as people or even a judgment that you've caught this so. No, no, that's not true. We're as susceptible as anyone else as Christians because we live in a broken world. But as Christians, we're called by Jesus Christ to step into that brokenness. To step into the brokenness. That's what he's, that's what he's called us to do. Absolutely. I don't know where it started really. I mean, we've, we've got all of these, I don't understand all of that, but I know what the result is. I know, you know, the, the foundation of it. And I think Jesus is just calling us to step into that. We need to have the strength and the power. He, an example for me. I, um, I was in, um, sorry, I'm going on for a bit. Is that all right? I was in, um, <laughs> 
I was in, in um, Bali. We do some ministry with an eye in Bali. We, we do a lot of ministry there with prisoners and, and orphans. And, and I was on this scooter and I was wheeling the scooter and I fell into a ditch, quite a big ditch with glass and gravel and it didn't end well, right? And so I, f- I had to go to, I was taken to a hospital and uh, it was amazing that the, I was going to visit someone in a prison. It happened right outside Kiribati Jail and um, I thought I'd be okay but I was delusional because I wasn't going to be okay. And I was just sitting at the front and everyone was coming to me. I said, no, no, it's all right. But I couldn't see the blood everywhere. I was, and, and then a friend came out who we know really, a really close friend came out of the jail. I didn't know she was going to be there. And she saw me and she said, I'm taking you to the hospital. And she went and got a car and she took me to a local hospital. It wasn't the best hospital in the world, but it was, it was a local hospital. And um, I'm lying in the bed and... As I'm in the bed, there's blood everywhere, all over the walls, over a sink. Like, it just wasn't, like, the, the safest place in the world. And, and I, I really, I had gash. I didn't know this, but there was gashes over my legs and arms and, and everywhere. And I, I really couldn't walk. But there was this person next to me. And the family were crying and crying and crying. And I, I forget the situation. And here I was feeling pretty miserable, but then felt God said, go up and pray for them. Now, I couldn't walk, right? But I just got up and I went and I just asked if I could pray for them and I prayed for them. And then I heard someone crying around the corner and I walked around the corner and I just prayed for them. And then I went back to the bed and I I lied down and like, my wife had to come to the hospital and she would test. I, I couldn't walk. Right? And, and it's not an example, that's got nothing to do with me. That's got all to do with Jesus Christ. Where he says, I will empower you to step into the brokenness of the world. I will give you the strength. That's what he will do. And he'll provide what we need. That's the promise of God that we have in Scripture. In the word of God. So I want to encourage you to step out in faith. Trusting that he'll provide all you need as you go out into the brokenness of a world to declare the truth of Jesus Christ and the love of God into people's lives. I, was, um, I went to the Philippines. Here's a picture. Uh, I went to the Philippines with a couple of pastors um, last year. I was leading a trip and uh, we went to this guy's house this is Justin this guy here and um, we went to his house and the house is seven feet by seven feet so seriously it's no bigger than this and what you can see is the whole room that's where they live and 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 this is how we got there we went to this um, we caught a bus and there was this tin probably about the width of this room and it was really high and it just had a rusty and it had nail holes, but there was doors all on the front of it. But there was this one doorway where you walked down at about 50 metres and it was gravelly and there was a bit of cement and it was a little bit rough and there were wires going everywhere down. If you've ever been to Asia, you'll see wires everywhere. Like their wiring system's not like our wiring system. So down here was wires everywhere and there was water pipe leaking water on top of the wires as we were walking down. And then there was door and door and door and door and then there was a stairwell and we climbed up the stairwell to a landing, door and door and there was a wall just like this. And on the wall was just bits of wood nailed to the wall that we had to climb on 
to get to another level. And I looked at myself and I thought, that's not going to be pretty. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. So I made sure Andy, who was this guy, was behind me. So he was, he's quite large. I thought if I fell, I'll fall on him. At least that'll be comfortable, right? So I climbed to the next level and then there's a door and there's a door and there's another wall, exactly the same with the same ladder. By this time it's getting dark because there's no light here. So we turn our torches on our phones so we can see where we're going. We get to the next level, there's a door and there's a door. There's a mound of rubble. We climbed over that, there's a door and that's where Justin lives. Seven feet by seven feet. No toilet, no water. There is one light that all those wires got up to his room and they had one light. The family of four, his sister, his mum and his dad live there. Everything they own is in that place. If they go to the toilet, they have to climb down to get to the toilet. They want to wash clothes, they have to go down. They want to bring up any food or drink, they have to bring it up. That's their situation. It's just, and in this facility are hundreds and hundreds of doorways with hundreds and hundreds of families living exactly the same. It just broke my heart. And I've seen poverty and I, I saw this and I just said, this isn't how God created it to be. It's not how he created it to be. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're so excited. We asked Justin, what do you want to do when you grow up? And, and most kids living in extreme poverty don't dream about a future because... They just don't know if they're going to eat tonight, let alone what they're going to do when they grow up. They don't Extreme poverty robs children of hopes. But we asked Justin what he, he was, um, wanted to do when he grew up. He said, I want to be a sailor. And we said, why? He says, because I can earn enough money to take my family out of this. He's 14 years old. We just asked the mother, what are your, what are your hopes for your children? And she said that they would just finish their education because she knew if education happened then they've got a better chance of getting out of this. Justin, just a little bit while before this, um, became sponsored through Compassion and um, they weren't a Christian family at all and someone paid $12 a week so that he would be educated, health care, they would get some food and they would be introduced to Jesus Christ in, through the programs. And you can see just the smile on his face because for the first time when he got sponsored, his whole future changed. And that's why he can dream and hope now, because before that he couldn't. Simply because someone stepped into their poverty, into their oppression, into their captivity and brokenness with the love of Jesus Christ, and their whole world changed. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And with compassion, that's what we want to do in our world. And and so obviously I'm from Compassion, but, but I've been pastoring for 25 years and God's moved me into this area because it's just changing our world. It's changing lives. And out of our richness, we're able to give to make a difference. And Viv and I sponsor three children and um, we get to visit. We visited two of them and you just see their world and you see how they're changing and growing and it's just amazing. And so... This is one way that you can step into the brokenness and captivity and oppression of our world and I would love you to consider this way. But there are a lot of other ways and I suspect you'll be giving in other ways and doing other things and that's fantastic, keep doing that because as a church we're called to step into the brokenness of a world. That's our call. And right now that's come really close to us and it's going to grow 
right in Adelaide in Australia is going to grow. I had a video that I was going to show, but I won't show it because I've gone far too long. You sure? Yep. Okay. Can we uh, can we show that video? Is that going to work? Oh yeah, you look at all. Um, it might not work because we did try earlier. Here we go. We can. Did the volume happen on it? Jennifer is a girl from um, Africa, from Kenya. Grew up in the slums of Kenya and um, saw things that no children should ever see as she lived in the slums of Kenya and she got sponsored. And um, here we go. Okay, no worries. Just pull it up. There we go. So that's Jennifer. And um, this is where she grew up. That was her world growing up. And um, it's, it's terrible. There are 350 million children live in situations like this around our world with their families. But she got sponsored and so for the first time she could get an education and she got uh, health care. Uh, she got some nutritious food and she was able to dream and so Jennifer um, decided that she wanted to become a lawyer so that she could be an advocate for people living in that situation. And um, she received letters and of encouragement from her sponsor. And uh, as she grew, she went to America just a little while ago to speak on behalf of Compassion because she'd come through the whole program and had become a lawyer and, and she was going to speak and she met her sponsors. And she, right at the end of the video, you'll, you'll see if we get to it, that she just cries at meeting her sponsor who changed her whole future and that of her family. Um, it's just very, very powerful. It's more powerful to listen to than me speak. <laughs> um, but uh, it's just, when you, when you, sorry? Yeah. As we step into the brokenness of the world, we bring the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. That'll do for now. On your seats, can I just lead us in prayer? On, on your seats are children that are waiting to be sponsored. And um, uh, I just thought we'd pray for them, but we'd all just pray for our, what's going on in our world. So maybe just grab one of the photos. This is a real child who's just waiting to have their world changed. Waiting today. And just look at the child and look at their name and just intercede for that child today. I'm not asking you to sponsor this child if you want to, that's fine, but I'm asking you, let's just ask God to intercede into their life. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for the life you've given us. Like We didn't ask for it, but look, look at us. Look where we live, look what we have, and that's an incredible gift from you, but as we've heard this morning, with that gift goes incredible responsibility. 
to step into a brokenness of a world with the abundance that we have and with the love that we have from you. And I just pray you'd give us the courage to do that. You've already anointed us with your spirit and we just need to say yes and go. And so, Father, we see these children right now who are waiting for someone to step in the gap for them. And, Father, we know it's you and you'll use your people to do that, but we just pray now that someone will. Someone around the world will step into their life, into their situation, into their family, into their community through the hope and love and provision of Jesus Christ. I'll just be with them. Give them a hope. Fill them with life, the life you created and, and, and release them from the sin that has kept them where they are. And Father, we want to pray for our world right now and, and certainly our local community in Adelaide, Australia, and, but, but a world that is living in fear of a virus which isn't from you, but you're a God in the midst of it will bring hope and joy and love and even healing. And so, Father, we ask that you would come into that and, and you would come into people's lives that are living in fear and doing irrational things right now, that you'll break into that and that you would use us to do that, that we would speak a truth, that we would show love, that we would not show fear or anxiety because we know the one who comforts and heals and that as we stand strong, a world will be drawn to you. May we be an incredible witness in a dark time. Both us here locally at, at Living Word, but also Christians around Adelaide and the world, that we would stand true and we would stand strong and we would stand faithful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.